Let's go in our Bibles uh, this morning to Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2. Now, you may need to turn to your index to actually find where Habakkuk is unless you were uh, schooled in Bible drill. Just by a show of hands, how many of you were ever involved in vi- at Bible drill any time in your past? All right, we have some Bible drillers in here. So you guys are already, you're already there. You already have the book memorized, okay? So Habakkuk chapter 2. Last week we discussed why would we address for six weeks, word by word, verse by verse, a book called Habakkuk. Number one, because it's in the Bible. Amen? Okay, right? Like we're, we believe the Bible. If it's in the Bible, we want to teach it. But Habakkuk also has some incredible things to say for our current situation in the world as it presently stands. And Habakkuk chapter 1 that we went through last week set the stage for Habakkuk seeing all of these problems at home. He saw Israeli, Israelite on Israelite violence. He saw that the law wasn't able to even to do what the law had intended. There are crooked judges, so to speak. There were crooked lawyers. There were crooked people. And it was like the whole society was just, it just wasn't right. You ever been talking with a group of friends and something comes across the news and you see it, it's just so sick and twisted. You're like, just, that's not right. Well, you don't have to even make an argument, but that's just, that's just wrong. It was that way in Habakkuk society, but this is where speculation began to where he asked God, he said, God, go back with me to chapter one there in verse number two. He says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me and strife and contention arise. He's saying, God, I'm seeing and experiencing all of this evil and it seems like I'm praying to you to answer, but you're not answering. And we learned that last week that God is still at work and he's still at work in evil situations even when it seems that he doesn't even hear. So here begins chapter 2. We're going to talk about waiting on God. Last week we looked at questioning God. And notice how chapter 2 begins in verse 1. He says, I will take my stand on at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So here's the situation. He's literally on the walls of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's already on kind of a mountain hill and now he's at the highest point on the city. So it's like if you've ever been to that point in your life to you have something going on and it bothers you so much. You're so tired. You're so full of hurt physically or internally. You say, God, I, I, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's just like it continues to go and it continues to go. The marriage gets rougher and rougher. The finances or whatever it may be get worse and worse. And it's like, I don't know. I can't do anything else but go to Jesus. Like that old song, take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what he's doing. So he literally, he's saying, I don't want distractions. I'm going to go to the highest point on the highest wall in the city. And I'm going to look as far as I can see and say, God, I'm here. And I am going to see what your answer is. God, how do you answer me and my problems? How, what answers, what, what truth do you have for me in being able to meet all these problems I see in my culture? And notice in verse number two, and the Lord answered me. Time out. God always answers the prayer 
the cry of those who are broken and repentant and turning to God. But as some of us have known in our walk with Christ, sometimes God's answers are not the ones that we want. And sometimes God's answers are not in the time that we want. But notice what God did here with Habakkuk. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, meaning the prophetic word that God was going to give to Habakkuk, and make it plain on tablets. Don't cursivize it. Like, write it plain. So that he may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, and we'll break all this down. So what God's saying is, Habakkuk, even if my prophecy to you, even if my promises to you seem slow in fulfilling and taking place, what's the next phrase? Even if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up and it is not upright within him, but the righteous or the just shall live by faith. You know, waiting can be one of the most difficult things in the world, can it? If you're single, waiting to get married. If you're married, things are not going well, you're waiting for it to get better. Waiting for school to start. And if you're a student and you're in school, you're waiting for school to what? Waiting for it to end. Waiting for your team to win the Super Bowl. Waiting for football to start. When your team begins to tank, you're ready for football to be finished. Ready for the light to turn green. Waiting on that. Waiting on people to change. You know, a large part of life in any time, in any culture, is waiting, is it not? But let's think for just a moment about our culture and we live in a fast food drive through culture. I mean, if you've ever been to a Starbucks or fast food place and they take more than a few minutes, you're like, TikTok? Let's hurry it up. Hurry it up. I have things to do, people to go, places. I mean, I've, I, time, time, time. And you remember a few years ago, Jen and I were talking about this, a dial-up internet. All right, now I know we have some holdouts. You're like, bro, I, I'm holding out on the internet, the internet. Or you may still have dial-up. You remember when you had dial-up and the internet was first starting, if a friend sent you a picture, a picture on email, it was like, let me check the email at 9 o'clock at night and by 9 a.m. the picture will be loaded. And just getting on a website, you're like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And now, man, we have high-speed internet. I, the other day, I was driving, and then I, I realized I can, you can pull out your phone, right? You can, you can literally, this, don't do this, you can literally now, if you have a smartphone, be driving down the road, turn the camera back on yourself, take a selfie, and then post it wirelessly to a thing called Facebook. Don't do that. Right? Selfies need to just go. All right? Everything is immediate. And the other day I was using Siri on my phone. I had it tied up and I was trying to type out a note. And I said, well, let me just say it into Siri. And Siri, you know, when you say what you want to be typed, it begins to spin when it doesn't have a solid connection. I was like, come on. And I was like, Jeff, you're a moron. You're getting angry at a phone that's taking stuff that goes to a satellite, through a server, all this stuff. But we are so accustomed, just as people, number one, to not want to wait. And then in our culture, it doesn't help at all because we have a fast food immediate culture. But in Habakkuk's time and in Jesus' time, things were not necessarily measured like they are today by minutes and seconds. It was almost by like seasons, right? You had the season for planning. 
And you had the season for harvesting and reaping. And things were a little bit slower. And probably it was a little bit easier to wait. Here's what Warren Wiersbe says. Great Christian writer. He says, The ability to calm your soul and wait before God is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Can I get a witness? Let me say that again. He said, The ability to calm your soul and wait before God is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Our old nature is restless. The world around us is in a frantically in a hurry, but a restless heart usually leads to a reckless life. A lot of us would agree with that. It's better to wait on God than to make a mistake going before he gives you an answer. But here's the difficult question. You say, Jeff, how do we wait? Well, the driving thought of this message this morning is that living by faith, walking by faith every single day is the key to waiting on God. Now, right when we said that living and walking by faith is the key to waiting on God. For some of us, we've seen the movie Contact. And we've seen the History Channel. Or we've seen maybe Bill Nye the Science Guy. Or we've seen Richard Dawkins talk about the eradication of religion. Or we've heard someone say something like, Faith is the enemy of reason. Meaning that if you live and think and walk by faith, you basically check your brain at the door. So let's go through a few of these things that faith is not. Faith is not checking your brain at the door. Faith is not believing against the evidence. That's what Richard Dawkins says. He says that faith is believing against the evidence, even in the teeth of evidence. But when we read the Bible, God always provided evidence. Isn't that interesting? Can you imagine being one of the Israelites in, in Egypt? And Pharaoh's like, I don't care about your, your Hebrew God. You guys are our slaves. How big is your God? And then God begins to do the ten plagues. I mean, like there's frogs coming out everywhere. And Moses is like, if you don't let my people go. Right, frogs. Gnats. Darkness. The water turning into blood. All these things. I mean, that would be just a little bit of evidence, wouldn't you say? And then they're, they're running away from the Egyptians, right? And then the, the, the Red Sea splits. And then they look behind them as the Egyptians are pursuing. And God says, payday someday for the Egyptians is today. And they, an army is annihilated. I mean, shouldn't that cause some of us to be like, I think there may be a God. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself as being the one true God. So there was always people, he challenged them to take a step of faith to trust him based upon his evidence that he had provided. And faith is not burying your head in the sand. In fact, write this this scripture down. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. The Bible says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must, number one, believe that he exists, and number two, Believe that he rewards those who seek him. Because for some of us, we say, well, Jeff, I don't really know if God is there or if the Bible is true. And for you, faith may be like stepping off a cliff, believing there's a bridge when seeing there's no bridge at all. But the Bible gives us incredible evidence of the existence of God. And there's existence of God that we're finding evidence for that through uh, um, through. Physics and design in the cosmos and DNA. 
In fact, this is for those of you that are interested in whether or not there is evidence for God even existing. Francis, or excuse me, Robin Collins, he's a, a physicist and scientist. He said that the finely tuned laws of physics to, to actually make life possible would be like if you were way out in space and you threw a dart just at random at the earth, like not any specific place on earth, and it would be like successfully hitting a bullseye. Check this out. That's one trillionth of a trillionth of an inch in diameter. That's actually less the size of one solitary atom. And if the laws of physics deviated from that, life would not even be possible. There's evidence of DNA that says that there's design. There's the evidence of morality, things that we don't need an argument for, like abusing children. We know that that's wrong. We know that something such as horrendous as torturing babies, we don't need an argument. We know that that's wrong, and the existence of God and who He is in the Bible makes the best sense of what we naturally see as being wrong and right. There's the evidence of the resurrection that unless you have a bias or prejudice towards the supernatural, the best explanation of the data, not just from the Bible, but from the Greek and Roman sources and the Jewish sources, is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. But you know, all of those things, they don't really hold a candle. Intellectual, rational evidences to the witness of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's that knowing but not sometimes being able to explain it. Have you ever been there in your walk with the Lord? Or you know that He exists. He's revealed Himself as God in your heart. And you know that He is there. But sometimes explaining that to someone may be a little bit difficult. And let's never believe the lie that just because we can't explain it doesn't mean that it's not real. But the Bible tells us it's the witness of the Holy Spirit. So faith doesn't mean checking our brain at the door, but here's what faith is. Faith is, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, faith is a gift from God that we activate by making a conscious choice to trust Him. Notice what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, or chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You see, the grace of God and faith are both gifts, but it's not something that you just push a button and faith begins to just do its thing. Faith is something that we activate by placing our faith and trust in the Lord every single day. It's just kind of like I was at the pool the other week and they had swim lessons and there was this kid on the edge of the pool and all the other kids were jumping in. This kid was terrified. And then you had the the teacher, the, the swim teacher, in the pool saying, jump in, jump in, jump in. But he wouldn't do it. And then there's another instructor, probably about 50-year-old man, and he jumped in right next to the kid, said, I'll jump with you. And the kid jumped with the instructor. The Bible tells us that God is with us, that the Holy Spirit lives inside us. So faith is not something that we just try to be faithful enough, something that we just try to get strong enough at a level to achieve. But faith is actually something that we say, Lord, I can't go on without you. And faith is something that God gives us as a gift that we activate every day by saying, God, I want to have my faith in you. So here's another question. What is righteousness? What is being just? It's there in your notes. To be righteous or to be just, it means to be in a right relationship with God through faith. Say, Jeff, okay, well, we read Habakkuk's story. But how do we actually wait on God by living in faith? And here's how we do it. 
We make a continual and a conscious act of the will every day to trust and believe God. Here's the thing. Even when God doesn't give us the answer that we want, even when it doesn't seem like He hears our prayer, even when it doesn't seem like He's going to answer at all, it is a decision on whether I'm going to trust my feelings or whether I'm going to have faith in God. Do you see where the connection is? Because where Christianity, where the rubber hits the road, is often we are dominated by our feelings. Can you imagine how emotional it was for Habakkuk seeing all of this suffering and saying, God, where are you? Sometimes the the tendency can be is when we feel like giving up and when we feel like God is not listening, we therefore conclude to act based upon our feelings. And if that's the case for our lives, we'll never experience freedom. Are you with me this morning? We'll never experience freedom because our emotions are fickle. Some of us are in situations maybe in our relationships because we've said things out of emotion when we know we shouldn't have. Right? Some of us have not gone to places we've not experienced suffering that we brought on ourselves because we said, I'm going to act out of faith and not based upon feelings. So here's Habakkuk. He's on his watch post. He's saying, God, I I don't even know what your answer is going to be, but look at the end of verse number one. He says, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. It's almost like he's saying God, your answer, I know that your God, is going to probably not be what I think it should be. So I'm looking for how I need to be corrected. What an amazing heart. What a place to be. For some of us, I was reading um, in Exodus this past week and how God said in Exodus chapter 3 that Pharaoh will not allow the people to be released unless he is, check this out, compelled by a strong hand. You know what I thought I said? Pharaoh would only obey God when God pretty much had to compel him. But may it be for us that we are like Habakkuk to say, God, I don't have the answers. All I have is questions for things that I see in my life. So I'm looking for you to correct me. And God is the one that we should go to with those questions. And notice what Habakkuk's not doing here. He's not wallowing in self-pity. Do you know what many people in the U.S. do when we get down, when we have questions about God, when we are waiting on God? We'll go to social media. We're going to meddle. We'll go to social media and we will air all sorts of dirty laundry that really only the Lord and an accountability partner need to hear. Are y'all okay this morning? And we'll air it to nobody but to everybody, which doesn't solve the problem. It simply compounds it, you see. And then we begin to throw out feelers to say, well, somebody feels sorry for me and my self-pity. Faith is not simply feeling bad about your situation. Faith is not wallowing in self-pity. But what it is doing, it is saying, I am actively, please catch this, I am actively committing my problems to God. And guess what? There is no person in here who doesn't have problems. If you don't think you do, you've got a big problem. It's called pride. Great verse for you. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's actively committing his problems to God. And in Psalm chapter 42, if you want to make a note there on your your outline in verses 5 and 6, listen to David preaching to himself. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? 
You ever ask yourself that question? Say, what's wrong with you? Like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Notice how he preaches to himself. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Please hear this. Listen, when we go through a time of waiting on God, and when we're questioning God, and when it may seem emotionally like he's not there and he doesn't hear, we should preach the gospel to ourselves. Get up in the morning. And say, I feel like, I feel terrible. In fact, I feel so bad that it wouldn't be proper to say how I feel. I don't, I don't feel good. I don't, I don't even smell good. I don't look good. Life is terrible. My this and that. But we say, hope in God. You know what, Jeff? You see, you get up on a bad day and you say, listen, I don't feel good. I don't look good. I don't smell good. But I know that my feelings are not telling me the truth. If we never tell our feelings where they can't go, we're never going to experience feeling. We're never going to experience freedom. And y'all, I see this so much in church and in just in friendships and people I know. We get dominated by our feelings and we live in, a, in an emotive, emotional culture with no foundation. But if we can begin to, through God's grace, develop the spiritual discipline of preaching the gospel to ourselves. We remember those scriptures that says that that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That even though everyone may leave me, he will never forsake me. He's going to be with me and to the end of the earth. We know that's true. And I'll tell you what, in a time of the dark night of the soul, when it seems like the people that you know have lost their mind and because of them, you may lose yours. That is the times where we get alone. We get like Habakkuk. No distractions, and we begin to preach the gospel to ourselves. And notice who he goes to for the answer. He goes to God. Verses 1 and 2. God says, write the vision on tablets. Make it plain, meaning explain it well. Because the things that we go through in the times that we are waiting on God, it very well could be that those experiences and those hurts and those struggles are the things that God uses to impact other people for Him. I ask you a question if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that God exists? Do you believe He actually exists? Like He's actually there? Do you believe that God knows the future? Fred, I don't know. we got a lot of Christians who are just looking at me this morning. Maybe they don't. Do you believe that God has control of all that's in existence? And do, you, do, you re- really, do we really, really, really believe that? Do we really believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he actually cares for me and cares for you and cares for us? If, if we believe those things, that even though we may enter the dark night of the soul, even though we may enter what some clinicians may call textbook depression, We know that there is still hope in God. And that the key to navigating that valley is to have faith and actively commit our problems to God. You see, the great temptation for some of us who follow Jesus for a short time or a long time is to give up. Because we want to say, God, why? Ask him that three-letter word. He responds with a four-letter word that we never want to hear. Wait. For some of us, we may be looking for a breakthrough in our family, our health. And something we need to remember is that the Christian life largely is one of waiting. What are we as followers of Jesus Christ to be waiting for? 
ultimately is to be with Jesus. So the question is between now and then, whenever that may be, we have to understand that God's plan will not fail and that God has appointed things to happen for a specific reason. His plan is powerful. It's trustworthy. It's not going to be affected. It's not going to be broken by evil people. Is that not an encouragement from the Bible? That even though there's evil people and there's ISIS all around the Middle East and who knows where else and all the North Korea, all these problems. And then you come down to the domestic issues that we have here in the United States, that God is sovereign over all of that. He's sovereign over cancer. He's in control. He's in control over divorce and whether people were abused growing up and how those issues spill into their present marriages. He's in control over all that. And in between now and then we say, God, I wasn't looking to be unfaithful, but they left me. But in all of the pain and in the dark night of the soul, that is the time that we have to make that conscious effort to say, God, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. But I know that you're there. I know that. I feel this. But instead of allowing my feelings to pull me down the drain and to be forever wrapped in, oh me, oh my, I'm going to take a conscious act of faith. Not because I'm awesome, but because you instilled me with your spirit. You told me that I can do all things. And so based upon that, not based upon what I know or what I feel, I'm going to not be like the man or the woman in verse 4 who's known as whose soul is puffed up. You see, that's, that's what faith comes down to. Faith comes down to whether or not I'd really trust God. Whether I trust God to bring my child to Jesus Christ, even though I raised them in church and they've rebelled, even though my husband or my wife doesn't have a desire for Jesus, I believe that I'm going to reject what pride that can even come out of emotions that may be understandable. I'm going to reject that. I'm going to get beyond myself and begin to serve people. Let me give you another verse. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. There were a few years ago that I was doing student ministry and teaching college classes part-time, and I knew that the Lord's plan was for me to get in, back into the pastorate like before seminary, and there were different churches and nothing just seemed right. And it was a time of waiting, knowing that I wasn't going to be where I was for a long time. Have you ever been to that place where it's looking for what God would have for you next? And there was a church that actually not long before Rocky Mount Baptist contacted and they had said, we want you to come here as pastor. And it just wasn't right. And I got an email from Fred waiting on the Lord. And I believe that God has blessed that. It was an awesome answer to prayer. But there are other prayers that I've prayed in my life, waiting on God for my brother to be healed. And God in his sovereignty said, I'm not going to heal him, but he's going to have 20 years instead of some people who have 60, 80, 75. And what makes the difference on whether we are able to give glory to God through our suffering and through our pain is whether we get with ourselves, get alone with God and say, God, I will actively commit my problems to you while I'm waiting. And while I'm waiting, I don't know how long I'm going to wait, Lord. I don't know if, how you're going to answer or if you're going to answer in the way I want, but however long that is, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to reach out to other people. 
I'm going to share the gospel in my pain and in my brokenness. I'm going to be involved as much as I can to help encourage missions here locally and around the world. I'm not going to waste my suffering and I'm not going to waste my waiting. And for some of us, that may be the challenge. That may be the commitment here this morning. Things have happened and you are down, 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 down because God has not answered in a specific way and in the time that we would like.